chapter 20. Uh, Brother Chuck, did you want to, should I make an announcement about a driver for the, Brother Chuck is, uh, he's a military member's best friend, that guy right there, Brother Chuck. He, he really pays back. And one of the things Chuck does is to head up a marvelous ministry, in this case with wounded Marines. They are really wounded. And he is, uh, is quite a complicated procedure when you think about it, is organizing an outing for them um, where these guys who have lost uh, arms or legs, other things, will uh, have a day out uh, on a beautiful ranch here in Texas, shoot dove, be normal. And uh, Chuck is orchestrating all this. Uh, Jimmy and his organization might have a role with providing a motorcycle e escort and Chuck was saying you've got to get law enforcement to a company. There's all these rules and regulations and stuff like that. But it's all to just show these guys we really appreciate them. And Chuck is, uh, I'll tell you, he's worthy of respect for doing that. Anyway, uh, needs, needs someone to drive a van to help uh, 11 or 12 Marines and so on. Randy, that'd be great. Could you coordinate? Brother Chuck, would you have Randy read? He's a little shaky, but uh, I think... Randy, could you just coordinate? That would be just, just a help. We need, a, we need an assistant, Brother Chuck, to explain to you why. I mean, anyway, thanks for doing that, and thanks, Chuck, for doing that as well. Oh, they are Marines, which, you know, should be the Army, but okay. <laughs> Second best is fine. Way to go, Randy. You see that? The Marines need adult supervision, don't they? We know how it works. How about last week? Was that an extraordinary week? 153 people publicly identifying unashamedly with the Lord Jesus Christ. 76 in the morning, 77 under really bad conditions, inclement weather, 77 people who said, I don't care about rain, I don't care about cold, I care about redemption that I have experienced by the grace of the Lord Jesus, and I am unashamed to say so through baptism. Wasn't that something? Did, our, did the Lord not use our pastor? Holy moly, I tell you. Just a great, 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 extraordinary. That doesn't happen all the time. 153 people. Well, I want to tell you a story in the Bible about someone who wasn't so faithful to the Lord. It's a bit of a sad story, but has a good ending. So hang in there. Luke chapter 22, verse 54 is where we'll begin. Uh, Luke 22, verse 54. It's an episode you're familiar with. Let's analyze it, pick it apart a little bit, and apply it to our own lives. Luke 22, verse 54. Having arrested him, that's the context. They went to the Mount of Olives. The uh, police... Um, from the Jewish religious leadership, Roman government officials, they all got together to arrest the, this Jesus of Nazareth who was just stirring things up. They went to the Mount of Olives. They had arrested him. They led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. You say, good night. Why are they bringing him to someone's personal residence? It didn't work quite like that. In those days, um, there was... Um, the government official would have a personal residence around a courtyard. There would also be government rooms and buildings and around the courtyard, like a square. And then the courtyard in the middle. This was typical Roman 
construction. So the high priest lived there, but also conducted his business from there. So it wasn't like he's going into the high priest's living room. It wasn't quite like that. The high priest um, was a man named Annas, not a good guy. The Lord Jesus stood before him. Before he was crucified, he was subjected to manifold trials before the Jewish religious leadership and the Roman government officials. It was just humiliating, but he went through all that, by the way, for you and I. A lot of stuff, even before he suffered and died on the cross. And so he he went before Annas, the uh, prior high priest. Annas then sent him to the now present and presiding high priest, uh, whose name was Caiaphas. We don't know this from Luke, but when you read other gospel writers reporting the same account, we find out it's Caiaphas. Caiaphas happened to be the son-in-law of Annas. They're all in cahoots, these guys. Anyway, so, so that's, the Lord was brought to the home, the quarters of, of Caiaphas to be interrogated uh, by him. Uh, but the text says, Peter was following at a distance. So uh, I ask you a question. There's no right or wrong answers. Uh, just... Share your thoughts if you'd like. Is that good or bad? Peter was following at a distance. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? What thinketh you? (laughs) Good or bad? You think it was a good thing? Why? So it's kind of a good thing. I mean, he was following, but it's kind of a bad thing because he's going to deny the Lord soon. That is, do you mind if I ask you how old you are? When I was 15, I did not know anything like what you know. I just think it's wonderful. Here's a 15-year-old with an open Bible who knows about these things. I didn't know anything. You're a blessing. Anybody else have any thoughts? A good thing or bad? Yes, sir. Brad. Well said, Brad. Good and bad things. So both brothers pretty much agree. It's, it's good, it's bad. Good, that's what I want to get at. He's following, that's good. He's at a distance, it's not so good. You, you want to know something? Peter was, was probably not feeling good about what was happening at all. All this upheaval and uh, his Lord is taken captive and things are in total disarray. As far as the circumstances, he's not feeling good. But as far as his self, he's probably feeling really great. In fact, he's probably feeling better about himself than he ought. Why? Well, there was an incident that immediately preceded this, and he was a, a principal player in it. I'll read it to you. It's recorded in John chapter 18. And in John chapter 18, beginning in verse 10, it says, Simon Peter, it's the same one, Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave. High priest is Caiaphas. Peter drew his sword. It's on the Mount of Olives when they came in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to take the Lord captive. Peter draws his sword, and it says, and he cut off the right ear of the high priest's slave, and his slave's name is is Malchus. Yeah. So Jesus said, Peter, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me. Shall I not drink of it? Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord said, Oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, your will. And the Father said, It's my will that you drink of this cup. And now Peter's getting in the way. The Lord rebukes him. He said, No, I must drink of this cup. But Peter is probably feeling pretty good about himself. I stood up to the test, you know. 
<clears throat> I didn't cower under the threat of all these people coming to take my Lord. He needs me to defend him, and that's why God made swords. I'm cutting this guy's ear off. The guy had nothing to do with anything. He's just a lowly slave. But Peter's pretty, he's probably pretty pumped up about himself and puffed up at this particular time. He's saying, probably I don't feel good about the circumstances, but I feel good about me. And I want to make the case in a little while he's feeling too good about him. He really, really needs to be given a more accurate estimation of what he brings to the table. But he's feeling, he, at this point, he has probably an overestimation of his worth. So verse 55, after they had kindled uh, a fire in the middle of the courtyard, why did they kindle a fire in the middle of the courtyard? It's surely nighttime, and it's also cold. Kind of like today, only colder. It can get that way. We think of Jerusalem, Middle East as being, you know, a hot and sweaty place, and it often is. But in some months, it can be really, really cold. It could actually snow in Jerusalem. It has. And it's on higher elevation, and so it's kind of cold there. Randy? I, I, what month? Do you th March or April? Tom, Tom knows. I don't have any idea. And it could be, it, I, I was there in, uh, we were there. When were we there? It was cold, Barb, was it? It was freezing cold. So, so uh, in March, or, uh, it probably would have been quite cold, especially at night. So they kindled a fire there to stay warm. And, uh, it, and they all sat down together, and Peter was sitting among them. Is that good or bad? Uh, maybe he's getting too comfortable with the opposition. I don't know. Okay, so he's sitting. So, so under the light of the fire, everyone's faces are now being illuminated. It was dark, you know, and darkness kind of uh, protects your identity. But now in the light of the fire, look what happens, verse 56. A servant girl seeing him as he sat in the firelight, looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. This man was with him. This one was with that one, that Jesus, that Yeshua, but, verse 57, he, Peter, denied it, saying, woman, I, I, I don't know him. So he denied any knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Well, a little later, how much later, we don't know, a little later, another saw him and said, you are one of them too. But Peter said, man, I'm not. So first he denies any knowledge of the Lord. Now he even denies any affiliation with those who were followers of the Lord. Verse 59, after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. Now, how did that man know that Peter was from Galilee? His accent. Uh, they, the people from Galilee, they were country folk. You know how y'all sound. Jerusalem was a cosmopolitan urban area, and they could easily distinguish those from more rural, countrified Galilee. They had a bit of a twang, you might say. And so uh, they picked out Peter right away, and he responded in verse 60, Man, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Why is that significant? 
That's what Jesus said earlier. And then it says this, verse 61. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Could you tell me what kind of look that was? It was, okay, so, and I told you so, look. Yeah, you're on to something for sure. What else? Here, we're speculating a little bit. What do you think, Tom? Uh, I think there's evidence to support that. A forgiving, reminding him of forgiveness. Now, look, was communicating those things. A reminder, Peter, I told you so. Peter, I forgive you. Anything, anything else comes to mind? Can you imagine receiving that look? I tried to think about logistically, how did it even happen? Was the Lord now passing through the courtyard? Was Caiaphas finished with him? Was he sending him to another such that the Lord passed by Peter? Uh, they were in close proximity. I don't know. Could it be that the Lord was still inside but looking out a window, cutting through the crowd, focused just on Peter? Of course, we don't know. I, I don't know the answer. Do you know the answer? So, wow, that's a brilliant defense of a blatantly guilty party. You would make a great lawyer. Wow. Oh, my goodness. All right, glad you're here. <clears throat> Somewhat. So, um, the Lord looks at him. Uh, it was not a look that could kill. Oh, no. It was a look that would cause tremendous reflection, introspection, memory, and even the beginnings, as you will see, uh, of repentance. You see, the Lord looked at him, but the Lord could have called to him. Let me ask you this question. If instead of look, the Lord called out to him, what would have been the ramifications of that for Peter? He would have been punished. If the Lord said, what are you talking about? You have been with me. <clears throat> Peter would probably have been executed. He surely would have been, at the least, publicly humiliated. Hence the look. The Lord wasn't after his death, though he was after his dying to self. The Lord wanted him to continue on. He didn't want him to be a dead sacrifice. He wanted him, he wants us, to be living sacrifices. And so there was a look, not a condemning uh, a voice. And Peter understood the look. He understood that I have disowned the Lord, but the Lord has not disowned me. See, the Lord could have looked past him, but he did not. He looked to him as if there was nobody else there. We're reading this not to criticize Peter, because in essence, Peter is us. Any record of humanity in the Bible is a mirror we hold up to ourselves. You need to know this. Though we may deny the Lord, we're prone to it at times, perhaps not like Peter, but anytime we seek to meet our own needs 
outside of the will of God. That is the denial of who he is. I must tell you, he will not look past us. There's always room for repentance. He looks to us. Yes, sir. That is wonderful insight. Our brother said, don't you think, uh, tell me if I got this right, a wonderfully intimate and personal moment. Boy, I do. I think for Peter it was like, though there was a crowded, it was nobody, it's just my Lord and me at that moment. And then our brother said, and it was probably a look that sustained Peter for the rest of his life. I think you're right on target, and there's actually evidence of it. Absolutely. Yes, Tim. too well said Tammy you know buddy I just realized I forgot um, to call upon you but we're going to do it is it do you forgive me is Mary still here okay sorry Mary I apologize I want you to hear about something buddy and Mary are involved in and I was supposed to call upon her but I forgot it's rough getting old <laughs> but we'll get to you all is not all is not lost uh, anyway um, the look made quite an impression upon Peter. And uh, to bear this out, the text says, look. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. See, after the look, during the look. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. See, if you back up in the text to verse 34, the Lord mentioned this in advance. Verse 34, and he, the Lord, said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. The Lord told Peter in advance what would happen. Peter, in seeing the Lord's look, is remembering this now, and I'll tell you how it's helping him. The circumstances are overwhelming. His Lord and Master, who's supposed to usher in a new kingdom, good night, is beholding to the one that is. The Romans and the Jews seem to be oppressing him. They seem to be the superiors over this supposed Lord. They seem to be calling the shots. He doesn't seem to be in control at all. He's being arrested. He's shackled. They're spitting upon him. They're mocking him. They're having all kinds of fun with him. Good night. He doesn't look very Lord-like. He surely doesn't look like he's in control. And the look reminded Peter of what this one had said in advance. And the only one who could predict things accurately in advance, the only one who sees the future, um, the end from the beginning, is God himself, who is omniscient. And suddenly Peter realized, <gasps> My life is unsettled in disarray. These circumstances are absolutely out of control. But this one, who I just denied, is fully sovereign and in control. He is my Lord and Master. And so in that look, the Lord was able to communicate to Peter that those things foretold earlier took place 
so as to show Peter, Peter, I'm fully in control. All these events, though people are culpable for them, are orchestrated by me for my redemptive uh, purposes. And there's something else that happened in the Lord's prior conversation with Peter up above. So if you look back at verses 31 and 32, you will see in it a marvelous and encouraging promise of restoration for Peter stated in advance of his denial of the Lord. Look what it says. Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Almighty God praying. He's doing that for us, isn't he? He's high and lifted up. He's seated on the throne. He won victory over sin and death for us. What's the Lord Jesus doing? Hebrews tells us he's interceding for us. He's actually praying for us. I think in much the same fashion that he was praying for Peter. He says, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That was stated in advance as well. Peter, there's room for turning. That means repentance. When once you have repented, you who are weak, I want you to be one who serves the purpose of actually strengthening your brothers. So there is a strong implication in advance that, Peter, you're going to deny me, but contingent on your repentance and my restoration, you're going to continue to serve me. So the rooster's call triggered a lot of thoughts in Peter's mind. One is that there's a new day dawning. And that's what we associate with roosters. You know, they usually do their thing in the morning so as to signify the beginning of a new era, a new day. And I think that rooster um, calling signified even that. Uh, it's not the end. Uh, th there is room for repentance. There's room for renewal. However, prior to it, Peter would experience deep and intense sorrow over his denial of the Lord. And so we see it in verse 62. He went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly. He was entirely overcome, sorrowful with regard to how he responded to the Lord in light of how the Lord is continuing to respond to him. So what went wrong with Peter, someone in the Lord's inner circle? Let me suggest two things. Here's one. He overestimated his own strength. He overestimated his own strength. Um, he had too much self-esteem. <laughs> he really saw strength and virtue beyond what he should have. He ended up sinning in a way he thought not possible, but he should have. He should have seen himself capable of anything. Wrong. But he did not. He was puffed up with way too much confidence in self, as is indicated. If you look back at the prior passage, uh, verses 31 and on, let me read it again. Simon, Simon, the Lord's speaking to him. Satan's demanded permission to sift you. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When you turn again, strengthen your brothers. Okay, now here's Peter's response to all that. Verse 33, he said to him, Lord... 
with you, I am ready to go both to prison and to death. That is way too much self-esteem. We find out that the Lord seemed to know Peter better than Peter knew himself. I suppose Peter meant it to the best of his ability. Don't worry about all this stuff, failing and Satan and temptation. Oh, no. I am ready to go both to prison and to death with you. And it's in that context that the Lord said, well, Peter, it's not going to quite work out that way. In fact, you're going to actually deny me. You're not going to go to prison with me. You're not going to die for me. In fact, you're going to disown me three times before a rooster even crows. Why is the Lord doing that? To pain Peter? No, as Tammy was saying so well. Before this man could be greatly used of God, he had to be emptied of self. And none of us volunteer for it. There's no such thing as self-emptying. We're way too proud and arrogant <laughs> to empty ourselves. So the Lord lovingly does it. That's called the process of sanctification. That's why you hurt as Christians, and that's why I do. It's a cutting away of stuff. See, we are arrogant enough to think we're more than who we are, and who we are are creatures. We're creatures. Meaning, we're not self-sustained, nor are we self-generated. We didn't, we're not responsible for our being, and we're not responsible for our continuation. It's the Creator who gave us a being and who keeps us going. Which means all I am is a creature. But I am a creature made in the image of God. So my worth is a function of the fact that the creator made me. Now here's what we tell our kids today. We think our kids have a self-esteem problem. So we try, we do this in schools and activities. We try to build up their self-esteem. That is the worst. That's a curse on our children. To build up their self-esteem. And what does that usually mean? We usually build up their self-esteem on the basis of their performance. So if they perform well on the athletic field, they could feel good about themselves. If they perform well in the classroom, <clears throat> they could feel good about themselves. But what does a child do whose performance is not up to par? They have nothing to look for as a sense of who they are and their worth except their performance. No, no, the basis of a child the basis of anybody's worth has nothing to do with performance. It has to do that the Creator has chosen to make us in His own image for communion with Him. It's our personhood that makes us worthwhile, not our performance. You don't have to perform. You don't have to be a great athlete. You don't have to be the brightest kid in class. You don't have to be some corporate executive. You don't have to be... God made us different than rocks and trees and all the rest. He gave us equipment to commune with him, to be in relationship with him, you see. So the worst thing to do is to tell our kids, believe in yourself. <gasps> That's the religion of self-esteem. Believe in yourself. You know what we're telling our kids? You're a big enough God to handle all the challenges of life that will come your way. That's not true. We're just this big, but life brings to us challenges that are really, really big. We need a much bigger God than me, than you. We don't want to tell our kids, believe in yourself. We want to tell them, believe in the fact that the God who created you 
loves you just the way you are and has the capacity to use all things, even painful things, for good if only you would allow him to be part of your life. We don't want to tell our kids, believe in yourself. Are you kidding me? Do we, we don't want to tell our kids, you can be anything you want to be. Why are we lying to our kids? That is not true. Every kid, every adult has inherent limitations. Stature, intellect, socioeconomics, family issues, whatever. Everybody is limited. You can't be anything you want to be. No, no, no. And you don't have to be. You could find meaning and purpose, sense of contentment and satisfaction and being wrapped up in the arms of the God who loves you just the way you are. We want them to esteem the Savior, not self. Self-esteem is killing, is killing this generation. Are you kidding me? And that's why Peter had to be emptied of esteem, of self-esteem. Don't you see? Not by a punitive God, but by a loving God. So Peter erred in that he overestimated his strength. Lord, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death for you. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Not at all. So that's his first mistake. He overestimated his own strength. Here's the second. He underestimated his need for prayerful dependence on God. He overestimated his own strength. He underestimated his need for prayerful dependence on God. So look what it says in verse 40. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he arrived at the place, he, that's the Lord, said to them, his followers, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Peter was one of them. Peter heard the Lord said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Then again, verses 45 and 46, same locale. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow and said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and here we go again. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Peter did not. Peter did not arm himself with prayer. And as a result, he succumbed to the satanic temptation to deny his Lord. He overestimated his own strength. He underestimated his need for prayerful dependence on God. Here's what you and I have to do. You can't get up in the morning and say, um, you know, I'm going to be the champion of my day. You get up in the morning and you say, oh God, I need you today. I want very much to so go through this day that it brings glory to your name. But I'm not going to do it without help from above. It's not in me. In fact, I may not even think of you today. That's what I'm made of. As much as you've done to me, I'm in this world, and there's a bunch of stuff in the world that either distracts me or tempts me away from you. I got an eye problem. I got a thought problem. I have a, a tongue problem. 
I got a big problem. There's all kinds of tempting stuff around me, and there's all kinds of busyness and this and that and calls and faxes and stuff like that. I I may not, you know, maybe over lunch I'll say, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, something like that. But basically, I'm going to go through this day in denial of you. I'm going to believe I can be the master of my own destiny. No, God, I need you to overshadow me today. I know your spirit is in me, but I have the capacity to quench him in me. I have the capacity to live out the day by the flesh, even though I'm a child of the king. Please let me be a subject of the king. Oh, God, I need to remind myself from prayer that the very next breath I take is due to your grace. I don't even know if I'm going to make it to point A, a B from point A. I don't know what the future holds. Oh, God, therefore I need you. Every hour. Would you please be glorified through me today at the end of the day? Please, oh God, let me be able to say before my head hits the pillow, oh God, it was good to be with you today. It was good to have communion. It was good to walk with you today. And oh God, thank you so much for so strengthening me in the inner person of the heart that to the best of my ability, I honored you today. I did not dishonor you. It is my inclination to dishonor you. I am Peter, but oh God, thank you. Learning from Peter, I don't have an overestimation of my own strength and virtue, and I'm not underestimating my need to start the day with you in conversation just like this. I need you, oh God, to overshadow me. I know there's victory in Jesus, but I, like Peter, can take my eyes off of you, Lord Jesus, in a second. I know I won't forfeit my salvation, but I can sure forfeit the joy thereof. I can sure break peace with you. Oh God, I'm prone to sin. Now I can go on and on and on. Folks, you and I got to pray that way. We cannot go around saying, I don't understand how Peter could have done. He is me. He is you. That's why it's recorded in the Bible. Now, I want to tell you something. Judas also was distressed, as was Peter, over his treatment of the Lord. It ended differently, however, for Judas than for Peter. Why? Let me just offer this. One belonged to the Lord and the other did not. There's a big, big difference. Listen to me. You are probably going to deny the Lord, as am I, in the sense, in some sense, like Peter did. Uh, the issue is, what do you do then? Do you go out and hang yourself, thinking that what Jesus did is insufficient? Do you punish yourself, if not with literal dying? Then do you die emotionally? Do you punish yourself with uh, uh, unending feelings of guilt and shame and depression? Whatever the deal is. Are you going to hurt yourself with feelings because you don't think the Lord hurt enough? Are you going to pull a Judas? Or are you going to go Peter's way? Are you going to confess sin, turn from it, and then accept the Lord's forgiveness uh, uh, in total of your sin? And just to show you, as you already, some of you so well, alluded to he was restored so i want to read to you an episode recorded in mark chapter 16 it's a resurrection sunday when the sabbath was over mary magdalene mary the mother of james and salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him very early on the first day of the week they came to the tomb when the sun had risen and they were saying to one another who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb 
Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe. They were amazed. He said to them, don't be amazed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who's been crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Just in case Peter was to think, though he disowned his God, his God disowned him, the angel specifically distinguishes him as still being part of the group. Tell his disciples, he didn't say, and no longer, Peter. Tell his disciples, and Peter. He gave him a resurrection day message of restoration. Folks, though we may be unfaithful, he remains faithful. It's different for Peter than for Judas. It's different for someone who's apart from God than someone who, who belongs to him and yet fails him. One other incident. After the resurrection on that Sunday, the Lord went north to Galilee. You know the incident. It's recorded in John chapter 21. When, Peter, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, then tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. He was bothered because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, then tend my sheep. So I ask you a question. How many times before the rooster crowed did Peter deny the Lord? Three. And how many times did the Lord ask him, do you love me? It's as if the Lord is saying, Peter, you're going to be tempted to rehearse each of the three denials. You're going to go inside and be overcome with guilt and shame. You won't be useless to the kingdom. You'll underestimate my capacity to forgive. You'll miss the point that my death on the cross covered even this sin. So for every time you think about denial, I want you to hear your words. You do love me. That's the difference between you and Judas. He didn't love me. Now, now Peter, don't get me wrong. You don't love me all that well. You love me imperfectly. I love, my only my love is perfect. You love me back imperfectly, but I'll take it. There's something in you. My love for you has changed your life. I know that. Even though you're an imperfect follower, you're a follower. You're not going anywhere. You love me. Did you hear your words? I heard your words. And, and so, Peter, I want you to match up. Anytime you feel guilty about each of those denials, I want you to hear your own confession. But you love me anyway. And Peter, just to confirm it, get out there and get back to work. Feed my sheep. Do you really, really love me? Then forget about the past, because I've cast all your sin behind my back. Now go take care of the people for whom I died. And that's what he says to you and to me. Don't give up. Thinking the Lord may have given up on you, even if you have given up on him. It's not true. It's not true. It's called grace greater than all my sin. When Jesus died for you and me 2,000 years ago, everything we did, he saw coming. Everything we did was after the fact of the cross, and he took it anyway. The biggest issue is not that we are prone to sin against God. It's how we respond to it when we realize we have sinned. 
Confess it. Don't call it a mistake. It's sin. Turn from it. Repent. Ask the Lord to strengthen you. Then head up, shoulders back. Press on as with Peter. Serve the king. Because the king has not abandoned you. Is this not good or what? Mm, mm, mm. Barry? Remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, we're going to live out the Christian life in accordance with what we think our standing is with God. The biggest challenge for us is to know our, what our standing is with God. If you don't think you're standing in a position of acceptance, love, and forgiveness, you'll, you, you and I will live below our status. Folks, I want to ask Buddy. You think so? Buddy, now I feel bad. Yeah, but I don't feel that bad. Okay. Mary, are you going to forgive me too? Okay, sorry about that. This will give you a week to get it right. Next week, is it okay? Sorry. Then we can... We can we'll, Oh, wow, Tom. No, I, I do. That is fantastic. Brother, thank you. Brother Chuck? Yes, sir, I do. Brother Chuck. Yeah, it doesn't have to be quite like Peter. Brother, Brother Chuck's going to preach October 21st unless the uh, rapture comes on the 20th and then, no, I won't be here. Um, but um, you need to go to hear that message. He, uh, he, he shared with me a little bit. Um, look, here's the deal, folks. If, if our voting does not reflect God's heart and mind and values, we've denied him. Not talking about a political party, even a, a person. This is the principle for believers here. If we're not voting for a candidate who best reflects the clearly stated values of our God, and so if we vote for a candidate for other reasons, denying these things, yeah, we're we're denying we're denying the Lord. So this is more at stake than than just a political thing, is it? It's whether we will honor the Lord in, 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 in our vote or whether we'll deny him and just opt for, for something else, you know. Yeah, that is, so that, yeah, different ways to deny the Lord for sure. Look, don't give up, folks. Listen, uh, remember Paul? Oh, my goodness, what a giant. He said, I got a problem. He said, I asked the Lord three times to deal with it, to remove it. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in what? In weakness, not in self-esteem, 
not in arrogance, not in I believe in myself. Paul said power is perfected in weakness. And Peter's an illustration of it as well. He ended up being a great apostle, right? Power was perfected, not in his show of strength. I will never, but in weakness. And, and so if you're going through stuff like that, that's really good. That's how it happens for us. Emptied of self so as to be filled by God's spirit so that he can entrust more to us and we would be less prone to take credit for it. Peter would be less prone <laughs> ever to brag about his exploits, always remembering what happened in that courtyard on, on that particular day. Well, with your permission, we'll pray here unless anyone has a parting comment. Jimmy? Yes, they're going to do it next week. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Barry. Go ahead. Holy moly. Barry, that's a changed man, don't you think? Wow, that is an excellent cross-reference. Absolutely. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us once and for all. And thank you for the process we're in so as to become more like you. That means we've got some problems. and <laughs> You are identifying them and rooting them out. And we're very, very grateful for your interest in making us to be more like you. Thank you for recording this incident of Peter. It is not an incident so much of betrayal as much as of repentance and restoration. And that is so very encouraging and hopeful to us. Thank you for never, ever, ever letting us go nor giving up on us. We love you, Lord Jesus, um, imperfectly for sure, but more than ever before. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, folks. If you have that box of cards with Rex's name on it and address, I'd love to have it. God bless you. See you next week. And Buddy, I...